Support for this podcast is made possible by you. Visit www.allgirlsconsidered.org donate to help us build a better world of endless possibilities for girls. My name is Abigail Hoyt, and today Citation McAfee and I are interviewing Jolie Justice, a former city councilwoman in Kansas City, Missouri, and the first LGBTQ plus Senate minority floor leader. She's been a key part in stopping the passing of many anti-LGBTQ plus bills in the state of Missouri. When did you realize you wanted to be in a career of politics and what inspired you? You know, that's a great question because I actually fought going into politics for a very long time. I, um, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a radio broadcaster. That was what I wanted to do. And um, the one thing I didn't want to, well, actually the two things I didn't want to be were a lawyer and a politician. <laughs> um, I had a relationship with my dad where we were kind of the same person and we fought a lot and he was a lawyer and a politician and I didn't want to be those things. So I fought it for a really, really long time. But the first thing I did to mess up was I went to law school and I uh, got my law degree and started working um, at, uh, at the same law firm I'm at today, Shokardi and Bacon, and I'd been doing that for about eight years, and I kind of stumbled into politics, believe it or not. So imagine this, it was 2006, and there was a state senate seat that had opened up because Charlie Wheeler, who used to be the mayor of Kansas City back in the early 70s, was at the time the state senator, and he decided not to run for re-election. And I, um, had no plans to run for that seat, I wanted this young woman who was our state representative at the time to run. Her name was Beth Lowe, she was awesome, she was this amazing um, woman elected official and I was always trying to support her in any way and so I said, you've gotta do this, you've gotta run. <laughs> and she said, I'm not old enough. Oh. You had to be 30 to run for state senate, but you didn't have to be 30 to be a state representative. So she said, you should do it. And I'm like, ah, sure, whatever. And by the end of the day, they talked me into it. And so um, I just kind of stumbled into it. But the reality is, is that I was already doing legal work in the public interest area. I was representing kids and families in the foster care system and working on criminal justice issues. And so I knew that if I got elected to office, I could go down to where they make the laws and try to fix things on the front end instead of trying to clean up messes in the courtroom. And so that's why I decided ultimately to do it and uh, got down there as a state senator in 2007 and just loved it and, and stayed in for, for 12 years. When you got into uh, like law school and stuff, what did you like foresee yourself doing? Did you just expect to do regular law or did you think maybe I'm going to do politics? I don't know. You know, when I went to law school, I was keeping all my options open. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have any idea what I was going to do. Frankly, what I knew I needed to do was um, get my degree, pass the bar and get a job because I was taking out student loans to go to law school and I was gonna have to have some money to pay back my student loans. <laughs> so whatever I did, I, I, you know, I just kept all my options open. And that's the cool thing about law school. You can go to law school um, and not have any idea what you're gonna focus on and you can just kind of follow your path once you get there. The other cool thing about law school is you don't need to take any specific undergrad classes to get ready for it. Um, I was a journalism communications major. There were lots of people that came from nursing, people that came from um, all sorts of backgrounds, education, creative writing. I mean, anything you want to do, you can go to law school. And so I think that was a good good fit and, and uh, really fell in love with politics, like I said, just by accident after the fact. <laughs> yeah, I can see, I can see that. Um, but when did you realize you were LGBT? 
So that's a great question as well. I actually um, write, well, it was even before I got, a col- got, a col- got out of college, mm-hmm. I got married to my best friend who was a man. And he is still to this day my best friend. Um, We we split up um, years later, and I'll tell you about that. But um, he got remarried and has a wife and three beautiful daughters. And uh, I love being Aunt Jolie, and we are all one big family, which is great. But um, the thing that's that's kind of interesting is it was probably, um, I'd say, five years. No, no, it was probably a little bit longer, close to 10 years into our marriage when I realized that I identified as gay and not straight Mm -hmm. and so I had to have a talk with my husband and we we uh, talked it through and um, then we later kind of went separate ways and and now have both been very happy in in the decisions we've made. How did you identify in the LGBTQ plus community or did you put labels on it? Yeah, I probably, I use the words lesbian, gay, and queer probably more than any other words. so those are, and, and every now and again, I don't even know why I throw in the word queer. I just do because I think when I'm talking to anyone younger than me, they understand that that's just a catch-all term that means yeah. about everything. Yeah, so, but I think that, um, you know, at, at my firm, for instance, um, we are starting an LGBTQ um, affinity group where all the folks who are kind of that fall within this spectrum are going to be getting together and talking about issues as um, it relates to our law practice, our personal lives, that sort of thing. And uh, when they asked me to self-identify, I checked the box lesbian. So that's probably oh. where I, I fall. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm open to anything. You can call me just about anything you want. Okay. <laughs> How has being an LGBTQ women impacted your career? You know, I'm incredibly fortunate because when I graduated from law school, I went to a law firm that was being run by um, just this amazing group of powerful women. And I don't know how I lucked out, but every trial team that I got assigned to, every office kind of group that I was in, I always had these amazing women role models. And so right off from being a baby lawyer, um, I felt I was in a comfortable place where I was empowered and lifted up and and really, you know, being a woman was a good thing at my yeah. law firm. Now that was a big change because in the 1970s and 80s, a lot of these women that were my mentors, they were working in a law firm where being a woman was a lot harder. Right. And um, that really stunk. I mean, some of the stories they told about the things they had to do to fit in, um, you know, that was really frustrating. I mean, at the time, for instance, um, people dressed up a whole lot more to go to work. Yeah. Um, we can wear jeans every day at the law firm now, but back then you had to wear suits every day. And the women to fit in would wear these big, like, tie things around their necks. Not like men's ties, but like these big bow ties, just so that they could have something tied around their neck. And they said they felt like if they didn't do that, that they weren't fitting in with the guys. Mm-hmm. And so just everything from, you know, what you wear. I mean, imagine this one. There was a judge, even when I was a young lawyer, up north of the river in Clay County, who um, required women lawyers to wear skirts in his courtroom and not pants. So if you showed up to represent your client and you wanted to go into his courtroom, he made you wear a skirt. 
I mean, those were the kind of things that the women who were lawyers before me had to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and it's, it wasn't always just clothes. It was also getting invited to work on the best cases and have the best opportunities and going out for socializing with the clients. And so that's changed a lot. And the women that um, really um, I stood on their shoulders were the ones who had to break through all of those glass ceilings. And so I had a really welcoming environment. And I was also working at the firm um, when I came out as a gay woman. And so they were very supportive of that as well. They really uh, value diversity at my law firm, and so it was a very healthy place to come out. I didn't have to hide anything, and that was really nice. And then um, by the time I ran for office for the first time, there was no hiding the fact that I was a gay woman, and so that was just part of my, um, you know, when they asked me you know, who I was, this is who I am, and so that was never a question. I'll tell you, when I got down to Jefferson City as an elected official, that's when it started to kind of really impact things, because a lot lot of the men that I served with as state senators, they didn't think they'd ever met a gay person before. <laughs> and uh, I was, let's see, one of only four women in the entire Senate out of 34 total senators, only four of us were women. And I was the only, and still I think to this day, the only openly gay person who's ever served in the Senate. So um, I really, at that point, um, a lot of what I did was just try to break down barriers and um, you know, dispel myths and break stereotypes. And, and I think it was a good thing because what I've learned is when you're at the table, you can talk to people. And when you're not at the table, they can talk about you. Yeah. <laughs> and so when they were trying to make bad policies that might impact the LGBTQ community, they didn't do it while I was there because I was one of them and in the room. So um, for the eight years that I served in the state Senate, they passed no anti-LGBT laws while I was there. And as a matter of fact, we were able to advance some um, progressive policies because of the fact that I was there. So that was, I think that's the most important part about having a seat at the table. Yeah, because the moment that you have one of the people you're talking about um, in, in the group, then people aren't going to want to do anything bad because they don't want to make it awkward. Yeah. Right. And, and it also helps with personal relationships, too. Yeah. I mean, on multiple occasions, I had senators call me to tell me that um, their child was coming out as gay oh. or their child was coming out as transgender mm -hmm. and asking for resources and assistance. And so I was able to, to really help with that. And then plus, a lot of my legal practice had been working in the LGBTQ community. In 2004, mm -hmm. I started doing a lot of work um, representing transgender clients and, and have done that ever since. And so one of the things I was able to do was look out for policies that might hurt or harm yeah. um, my community. So it was good to have me down there. We need more women and more LGBTQ people and more women of color in particular to run for office, yeah. so. Well, yeah, that's really inspiring. Um, in today's political climate, what is the largest thing you, you wish you could change? Like anything at all, it can be any part of anything really um just politics but wow <laughs> well i'm gonna get real specific right now yeah, i just wish ahead. this fella that was the president was, <laughs> was not the president anymore <laughs> but <laughs> i just but that's just because it's exhausting every day to wake up and have your phone filled with all of these alerts of all of these yeah. things that have happened that just don't seem to really mesh with what the vast majority of americans um, desire mm -hmm. what i wish i could change overall though is i wish we could bring back some of the civility that used to exist in politics i um am really saddened by how divisive things have gotten. And I, even when I was in Jefferson City, you know, I was one of only, I think, 
we, we crawled back up to 10 Democrats. So I'm a Democrat. I'll just let you know that straight up. Mm -hmm. There were 34 senators. When I got there, there were 13 Democrats. And then we kept dwindling down, went down to seven, and then we ticked back up to 10. But even when we were in the minority like that, we got along with folks. I mean, everything was, was, was fine. And uh, one of the things that's frustrating now is, is you don't even see people making an attempt to get along with each other. And I just think that's wrong. And so if I could change one thing in politics, I think that I would um, make it much more diverse and much more civil. Yeah, so like with uh, Donald Trump's tweets and stuff like that? that yeah. Type of stuff? I just, th that, there's no room for that. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, I mean, I remember when I was a city council person for the fourth district of Kansas City, I had this tiny little district that I represented in this, you know, mid-sized city in this country, and I spent more time like editing my tweets and making sure that I wasn't going to offend anybody mm -hmm. and that it was spelled right than the president of the United States yeah. does. Yeah. And he could start a war. So, I mean, yeah. that's just, um, and I, I don't want to get too political, but that, but that's, <laughs> that's kind of where I feel on, on, um, on what he says on Twitter. So, yeah. um, what are you up to since your mayoral campaign? I'm up to a lot of different things, and I'm loving it. So I, I will tell you this. I ran for mayor because I really wanted to be mayor of Kansas City, mm -hmm. and it was heartbreaking when I lost that race, and it's been very difficult to kind of get past that. But, I would, but I, what I do every day is I ask myself, why was I running for mayor of Kansas City? Because mm -hmm. I wanted to make the city a better place. And so I thought, you know what? I can do that whether I'm mayor or not. And the cool thing is is that now I kind of have my life back, so when you're in politics, it is not easy because you are always kind of on the stage. Everyone is um, always contacting you, always wanting you to be at events. You, you know, you go outside, you don't even get out of your front door. Let me give you an example. I live across the street from an elementary school. And I remember one morning when I was running for mayor, I had um, my, I walked out my front door and the, the principal at the elementary school across the street from me, she's like yelling and she's just like, hey, how do I get this traffic slowed down? I'm like, that's my job. <laughs> and then my neighbor said, hey, our recycle didn't get picked up. Who do I call? And I'm like, that's me. I mean, it's really tough because mm -hmm. everyone's coming at you for those smaller things, but then there's bigger things. I mean, we're killing each other in this city. The homicide rate is out of control. I mean, we have health disparities among our different zip codes that are unacceptable. We have so many problems going on in the city that, um, you know, I wanted to work on those things. Well, the cool news is, is that I can still do that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I'm doing is I'm still um, at my law firm. I'm the director of pro bono legal services. So I oversee all of the free legal work that we do. And so I'm representing kids and families constantly trying to make their lives better. And then for fun, I get my evenings back. I don't go to neighborhood meetings anymore. And so I have been gardening and traveling and playing with my dogs. And I am going to add chickens to my yard. Oh, cool. Um, before you ask the last question, Titasia, I want to ask, um, what advice would you give to anybody in the LGBT community right now? So I think that the most important thing is to um, be authentic mm -hmm. and um, tell your stories. Those are the most critical things because um, if you don't um, share your story, then it's always harder for the generation after you. And so yeah. th those are the things that I would say. Stay strong. I think one of the biggest things is, is that when the LGBTQ community um, 
when they got marriage, when we got marriage, um, there was kind of a die-off in activism, oh, and yeah. I think that, that that was a horrible thing because that's when we really should have um, really gotten and, and stood shoulder to shoulder with all of our, every one of those letters, LGBTQ+, yeah. because we have, um, you know, when you look at the transgender community, when you look at um, queer black men and women, when you look at um, really some of the most marginalized communities, um, you don't see any activism or very little activism coming out of the, the broader gay community because they're, they're complacent now. So um, I'd say get out of your house and get back to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, to Taita, what advice would you give girls listening? So I think the main advice I would give is don't um, let anyone um, tell you what you're going to do or be. Um, follow your heart. Uh, work hard. I mean, it's without question, you've got to work harder than guys still, and that stinks, and it's not fair, but uh, do it anyway. And uh, you'll find so much joy if you follow your heart and not just what someone tells you to do. So definitely do that because you can be anything. I remember when I was young, every time I came home, I was so lucky when I told my parents what I was gonna do. I mean, every day was something different. I'm gonna be a truck driver. Okay, sounds great. I'm gonna be a, a radio newscaster, fantastic. I'm gonna be a lawyer, great. Every time I did that, I had a community of people who, who did that and, and said, yes, you can do that. So also surround yourself with people um, and seek them out who, um, who are really going to lift you up and, and fill you with love and joy. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for agreeing to do this with us. Thank you for the opportunity and I look forward to uh, letting all of my um, circles know about the good work that you're doing so that they can follow all of the inspiring podcasts that you're going to put out this year and, and go back and look at the ones from previous years. Yeah. Thank you for your time. It was fun. Yeah. It was fun. Thanks. All Girls Considered believes in a world where girls and women matter. You can support our work by donating at www.allgirlsconsidered.org slash donate right now. We can't do this without you.